0: No purchase necessary. point were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio.
1: Good morning, pet people out there, and welcome to the Pet Place Radio Show. I'm Marie Hewlett, and I hope you're having a delightful weekend. As always, thanks so much for taking a little time to listen to us on K-Mozart. I have two really wonderful people waiting to come on the show today. First up will be a pet behavior trainer from Dogs in Direction. Her name is Justine Sully, and her philosophy of positive reinforcement has really made the difference in the lives of both the people and the animals she works with. Then, after our halftime break... Marianne Dill has a new batch of pet related books that she's reviewed and is waiting to share with all of you. So stay right where you are, tuned to K Mozart, and we'll get started after a lightning fast message from the station. Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Place Radio Show on K-Mozart. I'm Marie Hewlett, and joining me now is Justine Solly from Dogs in Direction. Good morning, Justine, and welcome back to the Pet Place.
2: Good morning, Marie. How are you? I'm
1: doing very well. I'm really happy that you were able to come to the show today because you're the type of behavior trainer that I really like to support because you use positive behavior training techniques. Absolutely. Can you tell the audience a little bit about what that means?
2: Well, I'm a member of the Association of Pet Dog Trainers, and part of um, joining the APDT is that we make a commitment to use only positive training. In other words, uh, not yelling at your dog when they've done something wrong, not using forceful methods, not hurting your dog as part of training, um, but using positive uh, happy voices and treats and toys and instead of instilling a spirit of fear into a dog because people can get their dog to obey just by terrifying them.
1: Yeah, but and that's not of that, a good thing.
2: Yeah, not a good thing. So we instill a sense of confidence that your dog can trust you mm-hmm. and whatever the owner asks the dog to do, the dog has a, a built-in connection with, with the person because of the training okay i'm gonna i'm gonna heal for you i'm gonna uh stay when you tell me to stay and there's that trust it builds a bond between the dog and the owner
1: that's great, and I know that dogs really just have this sense of wanting to please their people and and are really happy to do anything you want them to do as long as you are kind to them
2: exactly.
1: It always amazes me when dogs are misbehaving and the the first thing somebody does is just yell out their name, you know, with this real loud, angry voice. And the the dog really doesn't understand because, well, first of all, you're not giving him an alternate behavior that you want him to do. You're just terrifying him momentarily.
2: Exactly.
1: And that might get him to stop the behavior, but it really doesn't do any long-term training.
2: Now, one of the most effective ways of getting a dog to stop doing a behavior is almost counterintuitive. If, for example, if a dog, very common, they're jumping up on people and when you come in the door and they're jumping up and they're pulling on clothing with their dog nails and, you know, um, jumping on children and knocking them down, the best way to handle that is actually to turn around and ignore them. Okay. And the really what the dog is doing, the dog is jumping up and saying, pay attention to me, look at me, interact with me. And when you stop that, and you don't give them any uh, feedback, then all of a sudden it's four on the floor. Oh, okay. And you turn back and you praise and reward that calm behavior.
1: Okay, so children should be taught how to do this as well. So if a dog is jumping up on a child, the child needs to learn how to turn its back, walk away, and ignore the dog. Not run away. Okay.
2: Because that... Uh, incites a a prey drive in a lot of dogs.
1: Okay. So even
2: just standing still, turning their back, folding their arms close to their chest, and not looking at the dog and not saying anything.
1: Okay, excellent idea. And here's another thing, too, that I've seen, and it's never successful. If a dog gets out of the house and starts running down the street thinking,
3: yay, I'm free,
1: I see people run outside and say,
3: get back here right
1: now. When you come back, you're going to be in so much trouble and, and all those other stuff that that's just amazing to me. Right. And of course, if you were a dog, would you go back
2: to someone like that?
1: No way. No uh, way.
2: Or they'll start chasing the dog, uh-huh. and the dog thinks game on. That's Let's right. Go. That's right. Uh-huh. Yeah. So some of the ways that you can work with that. Number one is to build a strong recall. Okay. And how baby. do you do that? Um, well, there are some little secrets that we trainers have. Oh. One of them, <laughs> yeah. One of them is to take a treat, like a, a no-nitrate hot dog, for example, mm-hmm. or a turkey dog, something really delicious, about two or three inches long. And when your dog is playing with a ball or in some way engaged in something else, mm-hmm. call the dog's name and tell the dog, come, in a happy voice, and give the treat. And don't just give the treat, but hold on to the treat. And count in your mind to about 20. Oh. And so what the dog is thinking is instead of just getting the treat, the dog's thinking, oh, this is like Thanksgiving. I'm getting the stuffing and the mashed potatoes and the gravy. <laughs> you know, the dog is getting a feast.
1: Well, it's so, connected to you.
2: It's connected to you, and it's also more than just a reward. It's like this is a major thing. So after I've seen this over and over again, I love People, oh, the dog never comes. After about the fourth time, you wait till the dog's distracted, you throw in a toy or another person in the home is playing with the dog, and, you know, say, Rover, come, you know, and you have that treat and they chew on it. After about the fourth time, you've got a solid recall.
1: Oh, that's excellent. Great advice. Thank you so much for that. You're
2: welcome. Another thing you can do is if the dog's already out of the house is you can bend down. Don't chase them. Bend down and pretend that you're looking at something really interesting on the ground. (laughs)
3: And
0: And they say,
2: hey, what's going on? I want to know what you're doing. Exactly. you are (laughs) not
1: chasing me. You've got something better to do. I'm going to come see what it is. Yeah, exactly. That's great. I know a lot of people, they think that dogs want to be in the backyard, and and it's a great thing to have this big backyard that they could run around in. And, And really when you put a dog out into the backyard, It just sits by the the door and wants back in again, and I don't think people realize that, and it's really not the best thing for your dog, is it?
2: No, it really isn't, and I have a saying that um, I've observed this so many times, that a dog is not a bush, Mm -hmm. so you don't plant the dog in the backyard, give the dog water and food, and have your friends come over and say oh look at my great dog you know Uh a dog is like a member of the family exactly and it's a social animal it needs to be integrated into the family it needs to have regular exercise time and to be part of the family and that's where dogs in direction comes in because I, i want people to be happy with their dog in the house
1: oh that's the best place for a dog too i when you put them out in the backyard they feel isolated and scared it's terrifying to be separated from what they consider to be their pack family and exactly. ostracized. I mean, Ostr- why would you do that to somebody that you love?
2: Well, they people don't realize, and this is, I I teach some free classes uh, through one of the veterinarians uh, in the area, PetVet, and it's on their website. <clears throat> and I counsel people about, take, make a list of your lifestyle. Are you active? How much time do you have? And really consider the different breeds. And consider the breed that is going to be a good fit for you and your family, time, resources. Um, and a lot of times people want to get the dog that they see in a movie or on TV.
1: Hmm. Chances specific are, breeds, yeah.
2: well, those breeds are on TV, Marie, because they're smart.
1: Mm-hmm. <clears throat>
2: that means that if you adopt that breed, you're going to have to invest the time to really give that dog a job and training.
1: Absolutely, And it's
2: a lifelong process. It's not something you just do for a little bit and then, oh, okay, we're done now.
1: That's right. They need intellectual enrichment each and every day for their entire life.
2: Absolutely.
1: So tell me about canine good citizenship. I know it goes a little bit above and beyond regular basic obedience.
2: It does. Um, canine good citizenship is... Uh, uh, part of the american kennel club mm-hmm. and a dog does not have to be registered with the american kennel club to participate and it's a a 10-point test that they take and i do canine preparedness uh, cgc preparedness to help people get their dogs ready to take the test and basically um it, they have to uh, accept a friendly stranger you walk up with your dog and that person hey what nice dog can i pet your dog they have to be willing to let a stranger pet them and not freak out, not duck behind you. You need to be able to walk past, on a sidewalk, walk walk past another person and their dog. You need to be able to walk through a crowd with your dog and have your dog just be very calm at your side. And the basic training is so that you can trust your dog in public.
1: Sounds like a real good course for everybody. I know a lot of people only take the class if they're going to do pet therapy, or something where they're actively involved with their pet with the public. But I think it's a great option for anybody who has a dog.
2: It is. And another thing that I I really encourage people is sometimes places or rental places, for example, are on the fence about whether they're going to take pets or not. If you can say, my dog is a CGC, then that may give you a leg up. That Well, okay, this dog is already passed a certain level of behavior, so I'm going to accept you and your pet.
1: Outstanding. As a trainer, what has been your most touching story of a dog that probably got saved as a result of uh, learning basic training and and good citizenship?
2: Well, there's actually quite a few, but one that comes to mind, um, he was just under a year old. He was an Australian cattle dog, and he was vicious.
3: Uh (laughs) Uh-oh.
2: He was biting. They had two small children. He was biting the people, biting the adults. They had a mail slot in their front door, and the door was wood all around. The wood was just chewed away. Mm. Any hand that came through, the mail uh, delivery person had refused to bring mail to
1: them. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, just
2: left it on the front porch. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, wow. So it was really bad, and their vet recommended um, me. And um, I really believe that some people are gifted, and I've been training. I used to train dolphins, and i animals my whole life wow and uh so after about two hours of working with this particular dog he would sit in his crate with the door open and different people could come up to the front door and put anything they wanted in the mail slot and wow completely neutral we went on to train with him for um weekly for about seven months mm-hmm. and he went from being the terror of the neighborhood to Passing His Canine Good
1: Citizenship. Test. Wow, that's outstanding. Justine, mm-hmm. I love stories with happy endings, and I'm so glad you are able to share some of them with our listeners. Before we say goodbye, let's give out your website so that our listeners can contact you.
2: Okay, well, I'm embarrassed to tell you I don't have a website up Uh-oh. right
1: now. Uh-oh. Okay, okay. But
2: my, um the work Dogs in Direction number is 714-751-1789.
1: Let's give that out one more time just in case someone didn't have their pen and paper ready.
2: Sure, it's 714-751-1789. Excellent. they, They can also look on the Association of Pet Dog Trainers. There's a referral for trainers on there.
1: And it's Dogs in Direction.
2: Dogs in Direction. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much
1: for coming on the show today.
2: Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me, Marie.
1: Ah, pleasure to talk with you. We need to take a very quick break now, but when we return, Marianne Dell will be in with a brand-new batch of freshly reviewed and critiqued books about animals, so stay right where you are, and we'll be right back with more of The Pet Place here on K-Mozart. We're back on the Pet Place Radio Show, and our resident book reviewer, Marianne Dell, is here with a great assortment of new books that she's ready to tell you all about. Hi, Marianne. Hi, Marie. So I am excited to hear about what you found for us this week.
3: All right. Well, I've got two books for us today for two completely different audiences, but they're both really good. Oh, cool. The first one is called Tilly and the Rabbit, A True Story About Friendship. And I came across this book because it was written by one of my therapy dog students.
1: Oh, wow. Um,
3: J A Dahlman is on the book. Her name is Joyce. And um the book is available from the author. So actually if anyone who hears this is interested in getting it, they could contact me at my email, which is flypupmom at gmail dot com and I will get some information on getting a copy. Okay.
1: flypupmom
3: at gmail dot com yes it rhymes it does kind of huh <laughs> <laughs> it does i never thought of that so tilly is a little sheep tzu mix and she just really didn't like other animals very much tilly has since gone to the rainbow bridge but her mom read this book while she was still with us okay and her mom used to walk her around the neighborhood and tilly would just kind of stick her nose in the air when she saw other dogs and not want to have anything to do with them <sighs> one day she saw a rabbit little black-and-white rabbit, and Tilly just got absolutely fascinated. And the rabbit was equally fascinated with Tilly. And so every day when Joyce would take Tilly out for her walk, they would look for the rabbit because Tilly insisted upon it, and the rabbit would come out, and Tilly and the rabbit would jump around and play and chase each other and roll around in the grass wow, and just have a grand old time. And the rabbit started coming up and hanging out by their house, um, obviously this was someone's pet rabbit because it was black and white, mm-hmm. and I don't know any wild ones, and I, she does not get into this in the book, although there are illustrations of a little boy walking the rabbit on a harness, so I think he was owned by someone in the neighborhood. Hmm. Um, anyway, from a dog who didn't like anyone, uh, till he turned into someone who had a best friend and loved to play with her, and... They lived in a typical Southern California neighborhood where no one really has much time to get to know too many of their neighbors, and people ignore each other more than they talk to each other. Mm -hmm. And everyone started coming out to watch the dog and the rabbit play together, and they started talking about the dog and the rabbit, and then they started talking about each other and getting to know one another and sharing stories, and the entire neighborhood got to be very close. Because of the little dog and the rabbit.
1: Oh, that's awesome.
3: So, not only was there an animal friendship involved, but all kinds of human friendship <laughs> grew out of this. <laughs>
1: it, it really is amazing what animals can do. I always tell guys who are looking for girlfriends just take a dog out on a walk at the beach, and you'll have all kinds of girls coming up and saying,
3: Oh, it's such a cute dog. <laughs> yes, indeed. They don't call them chick magnets for nothing, do they? <laughs> Same with babies, but usually yes. if you
1: have a baby you probably have somebody else in your life.
3: <laughs> but I can vouch for that because I'll go I'm I'm not the most outgoing person if I go to a public event or or a party or something and I don't know anybody. But if I take Jitterbug with me uh-huh. no problem. I've got people coming up to me all the time and she's a great conversation starter. Yeah. And, you know, it's just amazing how that works and how easily it happens.
1: And if you're shy it's really good too. It just helps you. It's yep. like you know, it's like the read program with kids who have trouble reading in front of the class. When they have their
3: little dog that they're reading to, it's a completely different story. Absolutely, absolutely. It's it works for people and animals. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's talk about your second book. Okay, this is called Trident Canine Warriors by Mike Ritland with Gary Brozak. It's from Saint Martin's Press and it's twenty five ninety nine. And this book just was released for uh, public purchase last week. Ritland is a SEAL, a Navy SEAL, and he worked with a lot of military working dogs when he was in the service, Mm -hmm. and when he left the service, he decided he wanted to do whatever he could to make things as best as he could for the dogs and their military partners. And I just love this book. What I, as someone who trains dogs on the side, found most fascinating was the many chapters he devoted to how he trains the dogs to do this work. He's a, as we call them, positive reinforcement trainer, but he believes you have to form a relationship with the dog, and you cannot do that using force, compulsion, and punishment. Okay. You have to establish a solid relationship. You have to be completely trusted. And of course in his line of work you also have to build a very thick skin mentally on the dog because these dogs do things that your average pet dog just doesn't do they have to ride in helicopters they have to parachute out of out of helicopters and planes wow. swim perhaps for miles in water with no sight of land work in the dark work in the bright sun and so they have to be used to carrying packs and wearing goggles And how do you get a dog to jump out of a plane? (laughs) You start the same way you get a dog used to, well, you do it the same way you get a dog used to riding in a car. You put them near the plane or the helicopter, Uh and you walk them on it, walk them off it, do very short, sit them in it with the motor, with the blades running and the motor going. Then you do very short lift-off set-downs, lift-off set-downs. Then you fly for longer periods. You fly with the door open. Um, You know, if you're going to be parachuting out, you, of course, get the dog used to the equipment on the ground first. Sure. And Uh then probably, I would guess, jump out of the helicopter while it's still on the ground with the equipment on. Uh Uh-huh. Maybe do jumps just from platforms, short distances. I don't know. You probably have to jump several hundred feet to get a parachute to work. I never parachuted, so I don't know. But it's all acclimation and socialization and conditioning the dog by very slow steps to get used to all these different things he's going to experience.
1: Wow, that just is mind-boggling.
3: It it really is. And, you know, it's a it's a several-years-long process to train these dogs. A lot of them come from Europe, where I'm sorry to say, but it's true, their stock is better for this uh, work because they breed not for form, as we tend to in this country in a lot mm-hmm. of cases, but for function. Okay. And so they breed working dogs and instill a working ethic in them from a very young age, and he continues that work. He also breeds some of his own dogs. Um, but it's it's a fascinating book, and um, it. it you know, it talks about that. It talks about a lot of the different experiences they've had. These dogs also, of course, are trained to be uh, attack and apprehension dogs, so they are trained to hunt down um, enemy and or just strangers who aren't part of their quote-unquote pack, the the soldiers or Marines they're traveling with, mm-hmm. and apprehend them, either take them down or hold them at bay. Wow. Um, And so, you know, it's some pretty nerve-wracking work, but when you think about what some of these dogs have done, um, you know, I've read many, many stories about dogs who have alerted to tripwires that would have blown up or buried explosives that would have blown up an entire cadre of troops. Wow. And, you know, they were able to disarm them or go around them um, who have uncovered, you know, enemy hiding in the bushes.
1: It is amazing what military dogs do i'm I'm just always so impressed by them, and I know that the the handlers really do have a very strong bond with their dogs
3: they do and fortunately um you know a lot of people may not know this, but we've used dogs in war practically since war was invented. And as recently as the Vietnam War, they were considered equipment. Yes. I and know, equipment yeah. got left behind in country mm-hmm. when we left. And fortunately, that is no longer the case, or almost no longer the case. I can't speak with absolute certainty that it never happens. But the other thing I really like about Ritland's book is he makes a very strong case for the fact that these are animals that have put in as much time and as much service as our human counterparts and deserve to be recognized as such and certainly do not deserve the punishment of being left behind.
1: I had a gentleman on the show not too long ago who was talking about a law that was being introduced to Congress that would classify military dogs as actual military personnel. I'm not sure what the status of that is, if it actually passed, he was pretty sure it probably was going to. So I should look into that and do a little follow-up story on that. Yeah,
3: I remember hearing about that bill, too, and I don't know its outcome either, but it certainly should. I, I know that dogs are awarded certain medals. Um, you know, we have erect. I mean, there's an old cemetery on one of the Pacific Islands, and a new one, too, I think, that is are dedicated to, you know, dogs, dog heroes. Absolutely. Um, Heck, I think they should be buried at Arlington. I think they deserve nothing less.
1: Absolutely. There should be a whole section for military service dogs. I think that would be a wonderful addition, and I think people would really appreciate that.
3: I do, too, because they've played as big a part in protecting our military people's lives as any piece of equipment has. Absolutely. You cannot replicate a dog's nose. You simply cannot. They've tried it. They've tried creating machines that have as many odor sensors as dogs' noses have, but they cannot make something that can discriminate like dogs can.
1: They're truly amazing. Hey, we have about two minutes. Okay. And and I know that this wasn't originally on your uh, book list, but I've been getting a lot of requests about what is the absolute best book for somebody who's new to dog ownership or who is considering having a dog in their life what book would you recommend that they get that gives them
3: all the basics oh that's so easy it's the other end of the leash by patricia mcconnell
1: and what's what's so good about this particular book
3: trish is a good writer so she's easy to read She goes somewhat into the science of dog behavior, but not so much that people who really aren't that interested in the whys are going to have their heads spinning and get bored. (laughs) She has a lot of anecdotes to illustrate, and perhaps the best reason of all, the book is worth it just for the pictures that illustrate why dogs are not like humans. She has photos of people hugging people, and, of course, that's a very natural thing for us to do people hugging dogs and when you see what these dogs are doing you know they have the wall eyes where they're looking at the side of their eyes and their heads are pulled back and they're very stiff because that's not a natural behavior for dogs Mm -hmm. Um, I admit to kissing my jitterbug and picking her up and holding her and she hates it she's a very good dog and tolerates it and I don't do it to her very often because I know she hates it (laughs) but that's what people do and it's so easy. Okay. To get hurt if you do it to the wrong dog. Okay. So this book again, the title is The Other End of the Leash, and it's by Patricia McConnell. It's available. Many libraries have it. It comes in hardcover, trade paperback, audio. Excellent. Absolutely wonderful.
1: Well, as always, Marianne, you've picked out some great books, and thanks for the advice for the dog training book. Absolutely. We need to take one last break now, but don't go away, because we'll be right back with Pet Place news and events here on K-Mozart. We're back on the Pet Place radio show. I'm Marie Hewlett, and it's time for Pet Place news and events. Did you adopt a dog from the Irvine Animal Care Center? Then mark your calendar for their annual dog reunion party on Saturday, May 11th from 10 a.m. to noon. Come mingle with the center's staff and volunteers as well as other adopted dogs. The event features two off-leash play yards, giveaways, a toy sale, and complimentary refreshments. For more information, visit www.irvineshelter.org. And don't forget to check out our website at www.petplace.org to send us your comments or suggestions for the show and see what other fun animal-related activities there are on the Pet Place calendar. Well, that's all for me today. Remember, pets need love and a home, too. We'll be back next weekend with more of the Pet Place here on K-Mozart. I'm Marie Hewlett. Please stay or to your pets and have a wonderful day.